This is the first time I've done this as a pre-record in a very, very long time. So normally as weekly videos I would do live and then people would comment and they'd engage and it's it, it's nice because I get to talk to humans, you know, talk in a kind of quasi internet -y 2022 of things way. But I plan to do that here. I am in a location where I just have no reliable connectivity whatsoever, whether that be the Wi-Fi in this place, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, or whether it be 4G, certainly not 5G, which is sometimes 3G, and I have seen Edge on occasion lately as well. So this is not going to be an interactive video, obviously. <laughs> I have pre-recorded things. However, I have chosen a lovely environment. I'm sitting by the fireplace. It's dark outside, so it's clearly night, which means I can have a beer. Except it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm still going to have the beer. But it is three o'clock in the afternoon because I'm in Lapland, which has been an experience in many ways. I'm going to talk about that experience in a moment. I want to talk about sponsor first because pre-record, live, whatever, I still have sponsors. So sponsor this week, again, is Veronis. A massive thanks to Veronis. They have been one of my most prevalent sponsors. And as I said many times before, an organization that I have spent uh, many, many times with, times with, occasions with, whatever. You know what I mean. So Veronis is talking this week about reducing your SAS blast radius with data centric security for AWS, G Drive, Box, Salesforce, Slack, and more. And as I said many times before, uh, Veronis has been very good at identifying things that are exposed in places that they shouldn't be, very good at tackling ransomware and other nasty stuff that does tend to creep into your network these days. I might talk more about some of those as we go along today. I would uh, click on the link and read some more detail, <laughs> except I don't really have a connection. It's, let me sort of talk about this place uh, and, and the good and the bad. Now, I last came to you live from Copenhagen with Scott Helm. Uh, and in fact, I think I'll come to you live from another part of Scandinavia with Scott Helm in a week from now. I'm sure he'll be happy to do that again. But uh, that was in Copenhagen, and that was good. We had our were, we <laughs> had our respective families over there. Had a really lovely trip, and we then went. Charlotte, Ari, and Al, my family, went from uh, Copenhagen to Helsinki. Now, I had been to Helsinki before. It wasn't my first trip there. I'd been there once before, I think in about 2017, on my own, as I tended to do so many of these things in years gone by. Uh, incidentally, if I'm moving back and forth, it's because I'm also in a rocking chair. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, the snowy scene out there and the fireplace and my beer, and I'm in a rocking chair. What a scene. Somewhere over there, there'll be a Santa any moment now walking across. They're everywhere here. Anywho, we went to Helsinki. Uh, and Helsinki, is, it's a really interesting place. I, I find that for the most part, most of Scandinavia is familiar. And, and I guess what I mean by that is you can go from Oslo, where I've spent so much time now, and is, is Charlotte's home. We can go from there to Copenhagen, and a lot of it feels very similar. Uh, she can speak and understand Danish, at least to my ear she can anyway, so she can engage with people. You can go to Sweden, which is where we're off to tomorrow. We'll be in Stockholm tomorrow. Very similar again. She can speak and understand a lot of Swedish. You come to Helsinki and to Finland, it's all different. It's very, very different. In case you're not up to scratch on geography, Finland shares a massive border on their eastern side with Russia. So very, very close. I think it's about 150 kilometers that way. 
Uh, in fact, today one of our guides said uh, every year you end up with tourists that come hiking and they hike up to the border and there are signs everywhere, don't cross the border. Inevitably some of them cross the border, get picked up, maybe come back, not so sure. They said it in a very Finnish way. So it shares a big border with Russia. Uh, there has been Russian occupation in the past. In fact, we were here on the Independence Day, which I think was the 112th year of independence. So what does that go back to? Uh, back to 1910. Might have been 1909. Someone will tell me if I'm wrong. Anyhow, uh, there's a lot of Russian influence to one extent or another in Finland. That's what I felt when I was here many years ago. Now this time, of course, we come back in the winter. A bunch of snow everywhere, apparently not as much as normal. Uh, there was way more last year, not necessarily, but partly global warming, I don't know. But uh, it's just one of those things where some years you get a lot more than others. So last year was a bumpy year, this year not so much. Kids loved it though. Lots of chucking snowballs around and like riding down the snow in a park and just getting absolutely covered. Uh, and you got to remember, like for us as Aussies, Snow, not such a common thing. We do have snow, of course. We uh, we spent a bunch of time at the snow. We call it the snow <laughs> in Australia because not a lot of it. At the snow in August, going skiing and snowboarding, and uh, it, it is something that that is a bit magical, particularly at Christmas. Uh, Helsinki was great. Everyone loved Helsinki. Um, it's just a, it's just a fascinating place. Really interesting history. I've eaten a lot of reindeer the last few days. Uh, apparently that is something which is plentiful here. I believe it's like kangaroo in Australia. So I don't lose your collective minds because you're like eating a national emblem or something. Was well, find that funny. <laughs> it's like, if ever you... I'll come back to things you shouldn't tweet because I've had that today as well. Not things you shouldn't tweet, but just people reacting in ways they shouldn't to tweets. Occasionally, if I do tweet anything, which is at all related to the consumption of a kangaroo, there will be people that lose their minds. And you're like, do you know how many bloody kangaroos we've got? Seriously, they are absolutely everywhere. I believe it is a very, very controlled reindeer population. Anyway, reindeer stuff everywhere. So it's like reindeer steaks and reindeer burgers and we go to a pizza restaurant tonight. Apparently they have pizza reindeer. Reindeer pizza, I don't know, you know what I mean. Reindeer on a pizza. So that's a really, really big thing here. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Temperature-wise... It is presently minus 12 Celsius. It was minus 14 earlier today. Apparently this is very warm. For this uh, this time of year, it can be about minus 35. One of our guides who just dropped us off was telling us. So that's, uh, that's a lot cold. <laughs> I think the coldest temperature I've been in before was about minus 20. So I've, uh, I've not hit my, my all-time record yet, but we're getting close. So we had a couple of days in Helsinki, and then we've flown up to Lapland. Now, if you've never been to Lapland before, and you intend to go, I'll just give you a warning about the airport here. You get off, and it's a little airport. Okay, fine, we've been to lots of little airports before. But I suspect it's this time of year as well, elves everywhere. And when I say elves, they seem to be English students dressed up as elves, talking funny voices and just messing with passengers. <laughs> and then there seem to be all those, like these, these elf villages or elf-themed villages. And, and I guess what I wasn't quite prepared for is that we got here and I think there'd just been a flight in from Manchester. And there were heaps of English tourists with their kids, obviously all going off to resorts which 
catered to the Santa tourist. <laughs> so imagine a family just like, we're going off to a resort to see Santa. And of course, that's very exciting for kids. But a small airport is massively overcrowded and our bags took a little while. And by the end, of it, like if I see another elf or another elf comes near me, I'm going to... Anyway, it didn't come to that. It didn't come to uh, <laughs> elf assault. But that did surprise us. Now, Lapland is in the Arctic Circle. Now, one of the things I learned in my studies, which I didn't know, is apparently the Arctic Circle is defined by the latitude at which the sun does not rise on the winter solstice. So winter solstice being late December, I think it's about the 21st or something like that, uh, there is a point at which the sun will not rise above the horizon. Now we're a reasonable way north of that, so even though at the time of recording it is the 10th of December, we don't get sunrise. So I was going into like the Apple weather app, and you know, like normally it will say sunrise at this time, sunset at that time. It's like, no sunrise. Uh, no sunrise for more than seven days. Excuse me. So I imagine the next sunrise here is going to be sometime in January, which is also when it's closer to minus 35. So that would be an interesting place then. So there are common themes here other than, than elves. Uh, and, and just in case you're like, what, what's the whole elf thing? Lapland is the home of Santa. <laughs> so this is the place you go to see Santa. Our kids are too old for this. So it's the place we go to do things like ice karting. Like the one thing, the best thing we have done here is ice karting. In fact, it's so good, I'll come back to that. Here's the other things we did. We went on a reindeer ride. Now you don't get to ride a reindeer, but the reindeer will tow your sled. So you sit on the sled and then the reindeer tows you at walking pace. I did have visions of like a Santa sleigh and I was gonna have like eight reindeers and we were just gonna like hammer through the forest, but no. There's a guide who literally walks through the snow out front. We probably walked about 2K, I guess. Pulls the reindeer and you sit there and you, initially it's like, oh, this is really magical. This looks like it's reindeer and we're in a sleigh and we're sitting on a, a reindeer pelt, which I did feel a little bit weird about, only because it's other reindeers towing you on. Anyway, so it's kind of magical, but yeah. So there was that. We went on uh, a husky husky tour, husky pulled sled. Now that was much more interesting because they're fast and they're interesting. The reindeer is like, don't touch the reindeer. The reindeer don't like to be touched. You can feed them some moss, which they loved, but don't touch the reindeer. The huskies just go nuts. They go absolutely, they are so excited and they obviously love to run. And when we got there, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of cool actually, because you, you have six huskies towing a two person sleigh. So we, we swapped around a little bit with the kids. I think I had Elle on my sleigh. She was sitting in front of me and I'm, I'm the husky driver now. So I'm on the back, standing on the, the skids and holding onto the rail and the huskies just oops, head off. Now the huskies are doing, I'd say probably about 20K an hour. They crack a good pace. And if you need to slow them down, there's like a brake, which is this great big piece of metal with teeth on it and it just grabs into the snow. And you can sort of put a little bit of pressure with one foot. And I tell you, these huskies are hard to slow down. If you need to stop, you've got to jump on it with both feet to get the blades into the snow and the ice to stop the huskies because they're so strong. Anyway, they're yelping around like crazy until you get going and then they shut up and they just run and they love it. They loved it so much. We went out at night. <laughs> I just realized what I said. It's always night. We went out at 7 p.m. 
when it was also dark, just as it is now at 3.14 in the afternoon. And you go to somewhere magical and you have a, a warm juice, they call it here. Have a warm juice. Apparently not meant to drink alcohol while you're driving huskies, so we didn't have any Finlandia vodka or anything like that. Had a warm juice. Took some epic photos. I have been posting some photos to my, my Twitter timeline uh, and even more to my Facebook for those who want to follow over there. And that was nice. We went ice fishing yesterday. So we took uh, snowmobiles, which is cool. It's been a long time since I've driven a snowmobile. Not the first time, but a long time. Funny to see how common they are with jet skis, not least of which because this was a ski-doo and at home I have a sea-doo, both made by BRP, both got a bunch of common components, such as the learner key, and if you know where to get it, the key which is not the learner key, the learner key restricts your speed, but there's another one that's black, it goes faster, and if that's on, hypothetically, if that's on the lanyard and you swap them, your ski-doo will go faster. Anywho, so we took these ski-doos out into the forest into a lake, into a lake, it's frozen, onto a lake, uh, went ice fishing, which was actually pretty cool. And uh, Ari caught a fish, he caught a grayling. So you, you got one of these big things, which I'd seen on TV before, I've never been ice fishing before. Digs a hole in the ice. I think they said it was around about 20 centimeters across. You drop your fishing line down, hopefully you catch a fish and you pull it up through the hole in the ice. And then there was a little teepee there. This was about minus 10 at the time and it was windy as well. Uh, and our guide cooked it up in the TP, and we sat there in the tent with the wind and the snow around us eating the fish that we just pulled out of the ice, which was pretty cool. Driving the ski back, and there's a bunch of reindeer, so we're sort of stopping and watching the wild reindeer. Fun fact, every reindeer in Finland is owned by someone, but they wander around without fences. But apparently everyone is owned by someone. They're a very valuable asset. If you hit one with a car you're going to have to buy the reindeer. Uh, that's, as I understand it, we're not driving at all in Finland. <laughs> so that's probably for the best. I don't want to hit a freaking reindeer and have to buy what I believe is a very expensive reindeer from someone. And then the ice carting. Now this is the one thing which we're like, yes, we need to do this again. So we went ice carting two days ago. And imagine a go-kart with studded tires on ice. And that's basically what it is. It's a pretty simple concept. Now we went out, I've done a lot of karting before and a lot of motorsport before that, but I have never driven carts on an ice. I've driven cars on ice and I've driven cars and motorsport on dirt, but never carts on icy snow. Now this was really interesting because you figure out within about the first lap that the brakes don't work. <laughs> Not because they're too cold, but you've just got no grip on the front end. So the, the lady <laughs> who ran the place was sort of joking. She's like, look, the guys that, that, uh, that operate the carts, they don't even use the brake. It's just throttle. I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. And that inevitably turned out to be the secret. So you've got to tip it in and scandy flick it into every single corner because you cannot brake at all. If you try and brake in a straight line, you run into a snowbank. And the number of times we got dragged out of a snowbank, myself included, to the point where on one occasion when I got dragged out two days ago, the guy was like, in his very serious finish way, because he could see through my helmet and through my gloves the frustration. And he's like, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks, mate. And it was great, and we went out and we had a session, just the four of us, and I got the fastest time, so I was happy. And then we went out and we did another session, and Charlotte went faster again, much faster. So clearly we had to come back. 
<laughs> now, in her defence, she is Scandinavian. She grew up driving in Norway, learning to drive on ice, driving on ice a lot. So I, I was, I was very, like, I feel I've married very well. Uh, I was very, very impressed. <laughs> I was super, super impressed. But because we all had so much fun, we went back again today. Uh, first session out, I smashed that time, so I was very, very happy with that. I just had to dial everything back. You just had to go in so much slower to every corner. I had to literally tip it in five metres earlier than what you would for a normal entry into a corner and just sideways the whole thing through. Very good fun. I did take GoPro footage, so as soon as I finish this, because we only just came back from it, I'm going to grab that GoPro footage and grab just like one lap or something and just see how crossed up you are the whole way through. And it's, it was hilarious. Kids loved it too. Just checking my fire. So that was the one thing that we would come back and do again. I think because karting is, is competitive, it's good fun. It's something that we enjoy doing. The kids could do it so long as they're above 140 centimetres or something like that, which is fine for ours. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was wonderful. There's some photos out of my timeline. I will put the GoPro footage on there very shortly. Now, 17 minutes in, I have done no cyber other than the sponsor. Now, there are a couple of things this week, so let me make sure I do tackle those. I think this will be a shorter one today because there's no one here to ask questions <laughs> online being a pre-record. Very interesting thing this week. Uh, and I I am cautiously optimistic. I'm just going to jump straight to it. Our Minister for Home Affairs and Cybersecurity, Claire O'Neill, who has uh, become somewhat prominent, I would say, in terms of her response to the Optus and the Medibank data breaches, uh, particularly the Medibank situation being ransomware and very sensitive data dumped publicly. Uh, she has been on the television a lot and in the news a lot. Uh, and she's been very strong, which, which is great. I, I think everyone here, here, there, Australia, has had a very positive response to Claire O'Neill. Uh, the things that come to mind are, 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 say, her response to the Optus incident, where Optus is effectively going, oh, it was, it was a very sophisticated cyber attack. And she's like, no, it was simple. It was stupid. Now, she, of course, she didn't spell it out to the masses, masses, but it was obviously insecure direct object reference, mobile phone number in a URL somewhere. You change the number, you get someone else's personal data. It was stupidly simple, and she called them to account on that, which is great. This is what we want to see. She was also very good in the Medibank situation. She was very, very prominent, which I think we want to see. We want to see prominent cybersecurity interests represented in politics, which is great. She was also very key in announcing our 100 strong, uh, for want of a better term, cyber army. <laughs> so we will apparently be building a cyber army of 100 strong people. And then the announcement just a couple of days ago, this one's quite interesting. I want to get down to exactly where the cybersecurity bit is here. And now we need to cut through some of the politician talk because as much as I like her, she, <laughs> she's still a politician and there's, there's a lot of things in here about, as I said and as I committed, uh, where are the good bits here? Uh, our government has really resolved and fixed this. Uh, the truth is we are unnecessarily vulnerable. We did not do the work nationally over the last decade to help us prepare for this challenge. Prime Minister Morrison, he's our PM, decision to abolish the cybersecurity ministry when he came to office was a shock. No, no Morrison was the previous one. Pausing for a moment. We've had so many freaking prime ministers lately that we lose track. <laughs> Anthony Albanese is our current Prime Minister. Morrison was the Liberal government, booted out, overtaken by Labor government who's in there now. And this is what I mean about policy. And this is the bit that I struggle with just a little bit because 
I'm yet to meet her. She follows me on Twitter, so I assume she's got some sense of who I am. She seems very nice. I really like her messaging. It's the constant bits of politics in there that that bug the hell out of me. Put some more wood on this fire, right? So, like chucking the previous administration under the bus at the moment. On it, it's not said this bluntly, but you certainly couldn't look at it and go, "Well." Uh, the previous administration's decisions were somehow responsible for the Optus data breach and the Medibank data breach. I don't think that that is the case at all. More wood. Should actually talk about this accommodation. No, I'm going to do that at the end because that's uh, that's less positive than the other bits. Now, getting down to Claire's more interesting bits. Um, she says, for the first time, Australia will punch back at the hackers through a collaboration between the Australian Federal Police and the Australian Signals Directorate. So that's our AFP and our ASD. This was announced some time ago. This will be a 100-person team permanently focused on hunting down people seeking to hack our systems and hacking back. This is the uh, release the hounds, as, uh, as we so often hear it referred to. It will take some time to get this singing, but when it does, it will change the game for cyber in Australia. Now, let's get to the interesting bits here. She says, I want Australia to be the world's most cyber secure country by 2030. I believe that is possible, but we need a reset in the pathway to get there. That's why today I'm announcing a major program of work to develop a new cyber security strategy for Australia. The cyber security strategy will help Australia bring the whole nation into the fight to protect our citizens and our economy, strengthen critical infrastructure and government networks, build sovereign cyber security capabilities so that we can stand on our own two feet, and strengthen our international engagement so Australia can be a global cyber leader and work in partnership with our Pacific nations, or neighbours rather, to lift cyber security across our region. Now, this is good. We like this. Uh, we like the focus on cyber security we like it being there in the press. Uh, we like it being there talked about by MPs. The most cybersecurity nation by 2030. I got asked about this by a journal. In fact, it was whilst I was here with little connectivity and I was trying to beat Charlotte's time in the ice cart, so I wasn't paying a lot of attention. But <laughs> journal sort of said, you know, like, is this feasible? And I, I kind of went, well, if we were to think now about which country would be the most cybersecurity country now, cyber cyber secure country now was the term she used. Uh, and yeah, okay, places like the US and China. I said, look, if, if I honestly had to to point the finger, you'd probably point to someone like Israel. So Israel has had so many world leading cyber security companies come out of it, such as this week's sponsor, Veronis. <laughs> Not an intentional segue, I'm just making the point here. One of the things that, that Israel does very, very differently to Australia is mandatory national service. So everyone has to go through national service, has to go through the military. Now, I was in Israel uh, about three years ago, just over three years ago, in 2019, for a, a conference there, and I spent a bunch of time with different companies, including Veronis. <laughs> I didn't plan it this way, honestly. And one of the things I, I, I learned is that, that this cybersecurity focus really gets ingrained in a lot of people at that point when they're going through this military service and many of them have the option to specialize in a cyber security discipline and then they come out of there with military levels of experience and form companies like this week's sponsor <laughs> among many other successful companies from israel and that's something which has been ingrained in the society over decades 
I wonder how we would, if we use that definition of being a cybersecurity nation, how we would compete with that within the next eight years. That seems like a very hard ask. And indeed, how would we measure it? Like, how would we, where's the barometer where we go, oh, we're fifth at the moment, we need to lift our game four places, get past the Chinese and probably the Russians and the America. Like, how do we get to that most? So, so I, I do feel like that's a little bit of a politically charged term. But I like the intent, I like the intent. Another bit in here that made me happy as well. Uh, the project will be led by three experts. Uh, that was good. Uh, this was the bit I, I, I quite liked. In addition to this Australian expertise, some of the biggest cyber guns from around the world love the scale of our ambition and they've agreed to help. Former UK National Cybersecurity Centre CEO and eminent Oxford University Professor Kieran Martin will lead a global cyber expert panel who will ensure our work is really world leading. Now, Kieran is a fantastic bloke. I had uh, known of him. I think we had, we had inevitably known of each other for some time. Uh, he said some very lovely things at uh, OzCert via a remote uh, presentation last year, just before I went on. He said some very lovely things about some of the things I'd done at a time where I really needed to hear some very lovely things. And I was fortunate enough uh, when I was in Canberra uh, only a few weeks ago to spend a bunch of time with him. Uh, and he was a super, super lovely guy. Very, very intelligent, very smart guy. So very happy to see him uh, playing a role in this as well. So that, you know, what he did with setting up the NCSC uh, in the UK and the influence that that's had, not just on the UK, but the relationships I've had with Australia's uh, ACSC, our Australian Cybersecurity Centre, uh, has been really, really impactful. So it really feels like they're managing to gather some really great minds to, if, if not achieve a discrete ambition, which is the most cybersecurity country by 2030, uh, at, at least really make a very good effort into strengthening our cybersecurity posture. So. I am very happy to hear that. Uh, I think that that's a, that's a wonderful ambition. I am eagerly awaiting what it looks like because it's always good to hear promises from politicians, but I really want to see what it looks like. So stay tuned. We'll talk more about that. Okay, a couple of other things. Um, data breach world. So another data breach and have I been pine this week. Uh, it's a new one that's sort of an old one. Now let me uh, let me click on the link again because I just <laughs> it just disappeared from my Twitter feed. Twitter is still going, by the way. Uh, if you're one of these people that jumped ship with the expectation that it would die, uh, still alive, still going. And to my eye, again, as I said last week, two weeks ago, to my eye, my personal experience, it works the same as before. And I got the tweet back. So this was uh, Abandonia, a DOS, not as a denial of service, but a disk operating system. So think about DOS in the old school DOS. A DOS game site had 200 and, sorry, more than that, 920,000 accounts exposed last month. The service had previously also been breached in 2015. 88% were already in Have I Been Pwned. So not their first rodeo, uh, unfortunately, for Abandonia. Uh, now in there, why didn't I say the passwords? Huh. Anyway, I quote tweeted someone else who has said uh, it was usernames, email addresses, private messages, and passwords, MD5. I, I did go back and check my notes from last year and, and it was hashed 
M hashed MD5, you idiot. Salted <laughs> MD5 hashes, which is almost as bad as just MD5 anyway. So Abandonia clearly not learning their lesson from the 2015 breach and just doubling down and exposing even more accounts this year. So there's that. There is always a queue of breaches. I, I do have a long backlog. I'm working through them <laughs> as, as time permits. And as things are either high priority or less barrier to processing, there's a lot of stuff there that just is going to eat up so much time to do disclosure and everything. But one of my New Year's resolutions, I normally don't sort of just get to the end of the year and go, okay, now let's plan what to do. But I think one of the things I'd like to achieve next year is to get much better at streamlining the disclosure process. So getting more incidents uh, brought to the awareness of the organisations being breached and of course to the individuals that have been in the breach. Uh, now another thing, whilst I'm on my high horse about everything that's wrong with the world. Uh, now this honestly didn't bother me this much, but I'm going to talk about it anyway because I've got time and I do think it's one of those things that we can learn from. So, I um, had another wedding dinner with Charlotte last week and in fact we spoke about this when Scott Helm was around. He had, in fact that's why we were all together, so he had come to Oslo with his family to do this other wedding dinner, which was great. So he basically got two two kind of weddings, <laughs> a wedding and a dinner and a wedding dinner. Anyway, we had a professional photographer, took a whole bunch of photos. I took a bunch of photos as we were going around as well. My happy snaps with my iPhone looks freaking amazing. I was very happy. I shared some of them online. We got a sample from the professional and holy shit, <laughs> like really, really, really amazingly good. Uh, I've shared one of them, which just, as I've said here, it says, sometimes life feels like a fairy tale. This is now my favorite photo ever. And Charlotte and I are standing on a balcony and we're sharing a quiet moment. <laughs> Put it that way, you have to go and look at the picture. And I'm holding a glass of champagne and it's just, her dress looks amazing, she looks amazing. I reckon I don't look too bad and I look better than I do at the moment with my bloody beanie on. Incidentally, I'm wearing a beanie because I can't remember the last time I brush my hair because the whole time it's just like oh it's cold outside beanie uh back inside beanie inside beanie anyway i'll get cleaned up for stockholm tomorrow it's also why i've been shaved super super awesome photo i love this it's got 771 likes as of now it's probably my most commented and liked facebook photo ever it's beautiful uh, and clearly i'm very in love with my wife <laughs> and i love this photo and someone's just commented this morning because I've said, this is now my favorite photo ever. And someone said, my favorite photo is of the end of slavery, but whatever floats your boat. What? I showed this to my kids this morning, and, I just, and I'm literally doing this. Uh, for those of you listening, I'm just like looking. I'm a little bit like like lost John Travolta, <laughs> that meme from Pulp Fiction. Just like, what the hell? Anyway, I, uh, I quote tweeted this. I thought of it, because I was sort of saying... Saying it as kids, you know, this is, a, this is a teachable moment, you know, like if you, if you just don't engage with this stuff, it just goes away. I was like, ah, oh, no, there's, just, there's some points. <laughs> there's some points, some points where I just can't help myself. So I quote tweeted it and I said, uh, no matter what it is you find in life that gives you joy, there will always be someone online waiting to proverbially 
piss in your cornflakes. If you're not familiar with that term, look it up. That's just an unfortunate expectation. I've been dealing with it for years. Deep link to section of my favorite talk. And I've linked there to a talk I did, I think it was 2016, at NDC Oslo, called uh, Hack Your Career. And it was very much around how I went from my corporate life to my jet-setting Lapland fire sitting, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is today. And I, I loved it because it was a very personal story and it was a, a, a soft skill, if you like. I wasn't talking about how I use Azure Table Storage or Cloudflare or anything like that. Uh, and people really loved it and I got amazing feedback. And one of the things I'd, I'd said in there, I, I gave another example very similar to this one, where when I bought a new AMG Mercedes, uh, I think it was about a year before I did the talk, and I shared it online and someone commented and was unhappy. They're very unhappy. I think that I was happy, <laughs> you know, like unhappy with someone else's happiness. And I made the point in the talk, and this is why I wanted to deep link to it, because you get more emotion from a talk, just like you do from me here now, as opposed to a tweet. I said, look, it's, there's always going to be someone who's unhappy with what you do. Uh, in fact, I was watching a bit more of the talk, and I also made the point that if you're not making someone unhappy, and you're a content creator, or you're a speaker, or something like that, you're probably not trying hard enough. And I'm not saying that you should go out there just to piss people off, but we're getting so ridiculously sensitive about so many things now that in order to create something that no one gets upset about, you have to make it so vanilla and bland and gray. It's just boring. So I'm okay. I'm okay upsetting people like this. Uh, I'm also okay with uh, with their subsequent tweet they replied to someone they said uh, someone replied to me uh, and I don't know if this guy's joking he said he's right but the original person who made that stupid comment said thanks to this pile because a bunch of people then now I didn't mention the person I just quote tweeted he says thanks to this pile on someone called my work and got me fired shattered now um, I sort of thought how do I feel about this well, first of all, you've got no idea whether it's true. Uh, and it may just be a bit of a parody account. Secondly, if that did happen, how do I feel about then? Uh, was that deemed to be obnoxious enough to fire someone? That seems harsh. It does. Maybe it was the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know. Anyway, I like the photo. I'm going to pin it. Actually, when I was saying all my Twitter works the same as it always has. Um, see if it works now. Pin this tweet. Pin. It worked now. I tried this earlier and it didn't work. I couldn't pin earlier. But uh, yeah, there we go. Now it's pinned. All right. No, sorry. I was going to give Elon a serve if it didn't work. But no, it seems to be fine. Okay, so look, last thing before I go, I, uh, I, I said I'd give some candid feedback about this place. Now this place is uh, it's called, I think, Kakaslauten. And if, if you have a look at where we are at the moment, uh, I won't turn the camera around because it's a bloody mess in here. Uh, and, and this is what happens when you're continually getting in and out of warm gear, cold gear, snow gear, everything. Uh, you do tend to end up in a bit of a mess. But they're sort of self-sustained cabins. There must be, I don't know, 50 of them or something like that. Fireplace is good. Uh, the kids have got a little room down there which has got a glass ceiling so you can see the northern lights which haven't come out while we've been here. And then Charlotte and I on the other side of a curtain have got our room and there's a very basic bathroom and everything. 
and it it's a the the kids are mostly enjoying all of it. Uh, I'm trying to find the right words without throwing anyone under the bus here. It's a very cute place, but they seem to have outsourced a large amount of the staff. And when I say outsourced, they are not from the local community. So a lot of the guides that we've used throughout this trip have been local, local. Uh, I think Samoy, Sammy is the right word, sort of the local Finnish natives. It's been fantastic. Supports the local community. You get a lot of it, you know, insight from everyone here. But they seem to have uh, got a lot of staff from very long distances away in other parts of the world that have struggled with the most basic, basic things. Be like, we go to dinner. There's only one restaurant here, despite the website having said that there are like three different places you go to dinner. Uh, and without trying to make it sound really obnoxious, when you've only got one place and they've got the captive market, the standard doesn't have to be real high. But we went to dinner the first night because we were just like, oh, look, we're here already. You know, how bad can it be? And it's things like you order a bottle of wine and you're waiting, 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 and the food comes, still waiting, still waiting. And you're like, uh, how's that wine going? And I kid you not, the girl's like, oh, would you like it after dessert? Like, no, <laughs> that's normally not what you do with wine. I travel a lot. I don't think I've ever been anywhere in the world, including where this girl's from, because we had a chat to her. And she was very, very nice too. Those are the, the, the trouble. It's not the individuals, it's that they come here and then they just seem to have been thrown in the deep end with little to no training. Um, or things like it took five phone calls to get wood for the fire. Uh, and then they didn't give us fire lighters. So at the moment, I'm literally, to start fires, burning all the paperwork I printed out before travel. Just the places that we've been already. You know, because I just print everything so I can hand it to customers or whoever. You can't change the temperature in the room. That's another weird one. So it gets really hot in here. We don't normally run the fireplace so it will be well and truly extinguished before bed. There's no thermostat. So if it's too hot, like last night, we literally went up and just opened the door because it was minus 10 outside. <laughs> okay, now we can cool it down. And there's just constant little things like that. Uh, and then, of course, the, the, the nature of this cabin where it's like we're, we're kind of all in one big room just with a curtain. You, you don't get much privacy. Uh, there's just lots of little things like this where we've kind of gone, this, this is nice, but it's something... But we're looking forward to Stockholm. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So tomorrow we'll be in Stockholm. We'll be at a nice hotel where the kids have their own room and we have space. And I'm sure that should we need something like coffee, which hasn't been replenished for days, um, there will be coffee and I'll be happier. It won't be Australian coffee, but it will be coffee. Okay, look, uh, that was a very one-sided conversation. I've now got to find somewhere and some time to publish this to the internet. So I need to try and find a connection somewhere. Um, so I'm not sure how long it will be until it actually goes out. I hope it was okay. I know it was different to usual. A week from now, I'm pretty sure I will have connectivity when I'm with Scott uh, back in another part of Scandinavia, and we'll do a live one then. So thank you for watching, and I, I hope you found some of this interesting. Cheers.